7. In this passage, we are describing the tribulation period. And tribulation period will be a period of uh, seven years. Um, that will begin, uh, that seven years, uh, we believe, the Word of God teaches, when Christ comes and takes His children out of here. We call that event, our word for it, the rapture, and uh, that could come at any moment. Believe that. Uh, it's an imminent return. I believe the Lord could return today. And uh, if you're not saved, I'd be saved today. You say, well, I'll just wait till after that happens. The Bible teaches very clearly that those who have heard the truth and have rejected the truth when that event happens will believe and become under what the Bible calls strong delusion. You believe a lie. I don't know what that lie is. I have my own thoughts and hunches on that, but we ain't going down that rabbit trail today, all right? Uh, but uh, the fact is this, that um, it is imperative that if you've never trusted the Lord as Savior, do so today. You know, and I've, t I've said this before, uh, you know, that uh, years ago, these two teenage girls that rode the bus came to me out in the foyer, like, you know, five till 11, and they said, Pastor, during the invitation, can we come forward and get saved? I said, no. And they're like, no? I was like, no. You need to get saved, and you do it right now. And you say, why would you do that? I really believe there's no reason the Lord couldn't come back this morning. And, uh, and if you're not saved, I wouldn't even wait till the invitation now. i come forward right now. Uh, I'd uh, grab that person next to you and let them take the Word of God and show you. I believe we're that close uh, but what we're reading here, the Lord's going to come. He's going to call all his children out of here. And when that happens, it will begin what uh, the Bible calls um, the, the, this uh, week of tribulation, seven years of tribulation, uh, time of Jacob's trouble. This world's going to experience things that it's never experienced before. And, um, and there'll be judgments of God. And, uh, but God is fair and God is just. And God will allow what we're going to read about this morning. There will be two witnesses that God allows to preach truth. For those who have never heard the gospel, they will hear this. The whole world will take notice of these two witnesses. We don't know who, the names of these two witnesses. I have my idea. And but that's all it is, so we're not going to go down that rabbit trail either, right? Uh, but, uh, but there's two witnesses that will begin to preach, and the world will hate them. Um, understand, by the time we're introduced to these two witnesses, we are at uh, the, the midpoint of the tribulation. The first three and a half years, and I only say this to give some context to what we're reading, it's fascinating, love studying these things, and and I'm not afraid to study the book of Revelation. Matter of fact, it's the only book in the Bible that God puts a blessing upon those who study this book. Um, and uh, it's a wonderful book. Uh, but the first three and a half years of tribulation, when you study it and Daniel and Ezekiel and, and put all things together, uh, the world um, is going to get in chaos. And, and there will rise a world leader that's going to bring a temporary peace. Uh, and he will act like he is Israel's best friend. 
and uh, he is known, we call him, and the Bible calls him too, the Antichrist. And uh, he will seemingly bring, bring peace, he'll defend Israel uh, from invaders from the south, the north, and the east, and, uh, and set up, uh, basically the whole world will just love this Antichrist, and, uh, and uh, you won't be able to buy or sell or anything without his approval. And, uh, but in any case, at the midpoint, this three and a half years, all right, uh, this midpoint of this tribulation, the Antichrist will turn on Israel. And uh, he will go into the temple, the Bible teaches. He'll uh, declare himself to be God. And um, an abominable act, and then he'll turn on Israel. The Bible in the book of Revelation teaches that two-thirds of Israel will be slain during that time. Um, in the midst of that, there's these two men that are preaching. And these two men are sharing the truth of what's going on. And we're going to read that this morning in Revelation chapter 11. We'll jump in in verse number 3. Well, let's just read verse 1. That's all right. And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. Now John's getting this vision of these things that are going to happen. Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. So God instructs John, as he sees this vision, to measure the temple and to see the temple, which why we know it will be rebuilt. And the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. Uh, most people, and I do too, believe that that's referring to the location uh, where the Dome of the Rock currently stands. Um, you'll see it in all the pictures, that big golden dome there in Jerusalem. And God says not to mess with that. That's been given to the Gentiles. Uh, but it says, In the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. What is forty and two months? It's three and a half years. So for three and a half years, uh, the Gentiles will come in and they will tread underfoot the city of Jerusalem. It will be, people will be slain. and be um, just a devastating scene. Verse number three, And I will give power unto my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. Was a thousand two hundred and that would be sixty days. That is three and a half years. Right? So for three and a half years they're going to be God's witnesses, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. God will give a special hedge of protection about these two men as they are preaching for three and a half years. Uh, people will hate them, but they can't touch them. Verse 6, These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of the prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Uh, they will perform miracles, just like Moses did, just like Elijah did. They'll perform miracles. Verse number seven. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit and make war shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. At the end of this period, when God has allowed them to preach these three and a half years, the Antichrist, under the devil's leadership, will kill these two men. That well, God was protecting them. He was, and He is. 
He allows this to happen. We'll keep reading. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. That's Jerusalem. Which, is spirit, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. And where also our Lord was crucified. And they, out, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half. And shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. I remember my grandpa preaching on this passage back in the uh, late 80s, uh, mid 80s, and, and uh, saying that somehow, he didn't know how, but somehow these two men will be slain and the whole world will be able to see their bodies. Right. He didn't know how that was going to happen. There ain't nothing to that now. It'll be on everybody's phone and everybody, it'll be on everything, right? Uh, no issue now, but I remember him saying that. But in verse number 10, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, being dead, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another. They're going to start celebrating. I saw a Christmas card one time that had this verse on it. It said, it said, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall sing gifts one to another. I was like, if you know what that verse is talking about, that's the worst Christmas card I've ever seen in my life. All right? But anyways, that's what it said. All right? But anyways, it says, they're going to start giving presents to each other and rejoicing over these two witnesses being dead because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. <laughs> they just didn't like their message. But then, and after three days and a half, the Spirit of Life, that's capital S, the Holy Spirit is going to do this, the Spirit of Life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet. God resurrects them. And great fear fell upon them which saw them, which is everyone. The whole world's going to see them rise from the dead. And it will cause great fear, you think? See, this sounds like some weird show. This is going to happen. Verse 12, And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. The whole world is going to watch as they ascend to heaven. Now we'll stop there in our reading. See what happens next. The Lord comes back. And literally, not just in the clouds, but he comes back. And uh, all the nations of the world will gather because they're already so mad at these two witnesses and everything. They'll gather against the Lord and there'll be this great battle planned. Not much of a battle. When the Lord comes back, he just speaks the word and the battle's over. And he will rule and reign. Satan will be bound to rule and reign for a thousand years. Now, I say all that. That's the context. That's what we read. But let's look at these two witnesses today. Let's just consider something this morning, just a simple thought, just want to bring across. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, for the testimony, Lord, of these men. I pray that, Lord, you just please help us as, Lord, uh, we look at something that is yet to come. But your word is very clear what will happen, and we know it shall. Lord, I pray you'd use it to, Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. It's in your word because, Lord, we're blessed to read this and we're blessed to study this. And I pray that you'd help us this morning as only you can. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So at this three and a half year point, uh, these men will start preaching. Um, the Antichrist will turn against Israel. They're eventually, they, he, the Antichrist, will 
slay these two men and they'll lie in the streets of Jerusalem. Um, there, as it says there uh, in verse number 8, we know it's Jerusalem because it says where the Lord was crucified. Right. Right? So we know that it's the city of Jerusalem. We say, why is it called those other things? Well, it's called at this point, all right, it's called Sodom because of, spiritually, notice that, all right, because of the great immorality and pride and perversion that will be found in that land during that time. Again, the Gentiles have come, they tread it underfoot. Israel's being slain, it's basically being taken over, and they're bringing sin everywhere. But it's called spiritually Sodom because of its immorality, Egypt because of its imprisonment, just like Israel when they were in Egypt, they were prisoners, they were slaves, and they will mistreat the Jews during this time, and they will uh, again uh, hold them captive. I don't know how, why, or what, and how that's going to work, but uh, it's called Egypt because, again, they will be rounded up, and this is not something we have to think really hard to try to imagine because it's already happened in this world. The Jews will be rounded up, and they will begin to be slain, killed, put to death. So it's called Egypt for the imprisonment, and then it's called the great city. The great city all through Revelation is Babylon, which is head of the Antichrist and his empire and its philosophy. And, uh, and so, of course, I like to alliterate, but Sodom because of its immorality, Egypt because of its imprisonment, and it's called the great city because of its imperium. That's this going to be where the Antichrist is going to set up where he's going to rule from. Because he thinks himself as being God. The whole world's going to see and hear these men. They're going to rejoice when they die. And for three and a half days, they will lie there. They're not going to bury them. They want to leave them out in open so everyone can see them and just let them lay there. They're going to rejoice over their death because they've been tormenting them. They're going to send gifts to each other. And, but then all of a sudden, after three and a half days, the Holy Spirit is going to revive them. They're going to stand up. And the Bible says, great fear will come upon everyone. And there's a voice that's going to say, come up hither. And the whole world's going to watch as they ascend up. And then the Lord's going to return. And it's a great, great passage of Scripture. But I want to just have you notice something. In verse number 3, it says, And I will give power unto my two witnesses. Verse number 7, And when they shall have finished their testimony. Start thinking about those two words. I just want to talk about these two men and those two words. Witness is what we are. Testimony is what we share. Follow that? I mean, it says in verse number three, I will give power unto my two witnesses. That's what they were. A testimony is what they share. All of us, and we look to this and we know these things are going to happen, but understand this this morning, all of us that are saved in this room we are called to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are. And we are to share our testimony. And the time of our testimony is this life we live as a believer in Christ. But all of us, the time of our testimony will one day come to an end. I mean, right now, we, that's why Paul implores us to redeem the time, because these days are evil. We need to use our time and our talents and our opportunities to serve the Lord and to share this gospel message. But all of us are called to be a witness. Keep that in mind. Go back, familiar, Acts chapter number 1. Turn back there real quick. In Acts chapter number 1. A witness is what we are, all right? Acts chapter 1. 
it's a really simple thought what I just said. A witness is what we are. A testimony is what we share. But when you start reading these other passages of Scripture, you're like, huh. And, uh, and you start thinking about all these times it talks about a witness and a testimony. Not a big deal, but at the same time it is. And I want you to catch this. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, it says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be what? witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, again, I know it's, you may say, well, this is semantical. Well, it is what it is, all right? We're not witnesses to the world. Now, that ultimately is what we're doing, but it says we're witnesses in verse number eight, you shall be witnesses unto me. It's what we are. It's who we belong to. Now, the world's going to see it. That's the whole point of being a witness. But we are a witness. It's what we are. Now you say, well, all right, so this has nothing to do with what we say. That's our testimony. So then I stopped and thought, well, what should people see as we're a witness unto the Lord? Because they should be able to look at us as believers and see some things. Following me? We're witnesses unto the Lord. I read in my devotions this week and turned to the right over there in Romans chapter number 6. love this verse. Uh, just caught my, my eyes, my heart, and I loved it, all right? But in Romans chapter number 6. Romans chapter 6 talks about how we no longer are servants of sin. We have been set free from that. We're servants of righteousness now. We are to yield ourselves unto the Lord. And uh, it says there in verse number 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I, sin no longer controls the believer. Amen. You're saved. You've been set free from that. And now we serve, uh, again, we're servants of righteousness. We want to do what is right. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. You used to have no problem watching us before we got saved and realize we're sinners. We were a witness unto that. I mean, again, we look at a lost world and say, oh, they're so evil. Well, they're not saved. They're a witness of what sin is. And that was all of us, too. We'll keep reading verse 20. For when we were the servants of sin, you were, uh, for when ye were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You don't get saved if you live and die as a servant of sin. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. But verse 22. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now there's a different fruit in our life. Now we are a different witness, not what sin does and sin's control. Now we are to be a witness of what salvation is. Now we're to be a witness and people ought to be able to see us and see the difference that God has made. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So all of us are called to be a witness. In this passage, I just drew these things out. What are, be, what are we to be a witness of? Now, if you're saved today, praise the Lord. Amen. 
Praise the Lord for salvation. What a, what a wonderful thing, right? But we've been saved, and, and so what are we a witness of? Obviously, first and foremost, we ought to be a witness that we are saved. We are, as it says in verse number 22, free from sin. Now, again, that doesn't mean that we've never sinned since salvation, but sin doesn't have dominion over us anymore. I am no longer bound. I, before I got saved, was a servant to sin. No one had to train me out of sin. No one had to teach me out of sin. I came by it naturally because that's what I was. And sin had control of me. The curse of sin and, and the penalty of death and hell, that was upon me. I, it, it, it controlled my life. That's what sin was. And I was living in darkness. I was living under the curse of sin. And I was a decent kid, but I was lost. I was on my way to hell. But the day I got saved, I was free from that sin. No longer does sin have dominion in my life. No longer, you know, you know we, we, had, we look back at our life before we got saved. We got ourselves in some messes. And it just came naturally. We made foolish choices based upon what we wanted and what we thought was best. But praise the Lord, when you got saved, you were set free from the chains of sin, set free from the bondage of sin, set free from the curse of sin. I am justified. I am given liberty and freedom in Christ. And I now can use my life to just serve the Lord. And what true freedom is, is not the ability to get what I want or, or possess what I want to do. It's the freedom to do what's right. And now I can live for the Lord. God has set me free from that. I'm going to heaven. And people ought to see us and we be a witness that I am no longer bound to sin. Amen? Everything I'm about to tell you that we are to be a witness of because we're saved, the devil wants to take away from us. Because if he can take these four things away from us, we're not being a... Say it again. Witness. This is what being a witness is. It's who we are. All right? I'm not going to talk about anything yet. What we say, that's our testimony. But these things, people ought to watch us, follow us, and see these things, and they be a witness to the Lord. That is what we are. So can people watch you and see that sin doesn't have dominion in your life? Can people watch you and see that sin is not running rampant in your life and destroying your joy and destroying your gladness and your peace and your hope? What are they seeing? As a child of God, sin does not have authority over you. You say, but I'm struggling. I get it. We can allow ourselves to struggle. But if we come to the Lord today, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, you can overcome. Because the Holy Spirit that indwells you. Now, if you're not saved today, please get saved today. Begin this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But saved. They ought to see that. They ought to see that we're saved. And look at verse number 22 again. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God. They, they ought, this is what a witness is, the fruit of being a witness for the Lord. They ought to watch us and look at us and follow us and know we're saved and then know that we're his servant. Amen. 
not in a way that we're forced to do things. Because He will not force us. It's all about relationship with the Lord. He's not going to force us. God didn't make any of you come to church today. You could have stayed home. I'm glad you didn't. You made the right choice, right? But no one made you. It wasn't like God said, nah, get out of bed, pick us up. Me and Brother Matt and I were talking. He has this new little podcast, and it's funny. You ought to check it out. All right, but he was talking about the time whenever he was in college, and, and he, was, he overslept. Very rarely. Never hardly. You know, never mind. I can't do it. Oh, yeah. But the dorm supervisor walked in one day and said, grabbed his leg and just pulled him out of the bed. And he was in a bunk bag, and he was up on the upper one. It was a big thump, right? Uh, and uh, we were talking about that yesterday. True story. And, uh, yeah, yeah, right? God didn't do that to any of you this morning. God didn't grab Brother Chittam and say, eh, eh, no sleeping, get out of bed, throw him in a shower, throw him in the car, and drove him here to church. God didn't force him. He chose to come here because he loves the Lord. And people ought to watch our life and see that we are servant to the Lord. Not because he makes us, but because we love him. That's what Paul talked about. Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your what? Reasonable service. When we realize all that God's done for us, how could I not want to serve him? When I realize what Christ saved me from, how could I just decide, eh, I don't want to go to church today? No, Christ loved the church. He gave himself for it. Church is a gift from God for me. And I should desire to be in God's house. And my neighbors are watching. And you're a witness. You're a witness. Everybody look at me. Who you're serving. He said, well, I'm saved. Of course I'm serving God. I don't mean you're serving God. God said to his people, you cannot serve two masters. Right? You either serve one or the other, but you cannot serve God and mammon, things of this world. Again, we read there in, in Romans, we, we, we spoke of it, that it is important that every one of us yield ourselves to God daily. Because we ought to want to serve Him. As simple as this is, it's just a simple question. We are witnesses unto the Lord. So can the world, your family, your friends, your co-workers, can they watch you and see that you are saved, set free from sin? Can they watch you and it be witness that you're his servant, that you love to serve him? Can they watch you and see in our text in verse number 22 in Romans 6 there, you're saved, you're a servant, and you're sanctified. You have your fruit unto, what's the next word? What's the next word? Holiness. Apparently, holiness is a big deal. Not to earn favor with God. No, no, I say this all the time. I don't, I don't strive. I fell just like you do. I don't strive to live a holy life in order for God to love me more. Matter of fact, I read this morning in Romans... There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Praise the Lord for that, right? 
But I don't live, try to live a holy life in order to get God to love me or to keep him from not loving me. Matter of fact, there's nothing that can stop you, stop God from loving you. And even when I fail, as we talked in our Sunday school about this morning, when I run to God, that's his joy. Such a blessing. But holiness is important because we're witnesses unto God. If I catch this, this is really important. I'm preaching to the church here real quick, right? There's this modern philosophy in churches today, which is of the devil, which is this. If you become more like the world, you're going to be able to reach the world. That's not what's taught in scriptures. We're witnesses unto God. They ought to see in our life that we're saved. They ought to see in our life that we choose to be a servant. And by the way, if you love him, you keep his commandment. It's all about love. It's about choice. You know, my wife, again, she didn't make me push in the sock drawer this morning. I did it because I love her. I got something out of the cabinet this morning, got a cup out, take a few vitamins and some water. I closed the cupboard because I know she likes it. She likes the cupboards closed. She didn't force me, and I'd never hear about it if I didn't, but I do it because I love her. And the world should see our life of love. That's why we serve. And then they should see a sanctified life. A holy life. Holiness is still important. It's still right to be holy. We sang this morning as a congregation, take time to be holy. This new philosophy that's going on, and it's unfortunately in a lot of churches, is, you know, you know, just do whatever you want to do. Long as you don't get drunk, have a few drinks, dress however you want to, listen to whatever you want to. Do whatever you want to do. You say, you can do those things and go to heaven. You can do those things and go to heaven. But the fact is this, you're not pleasing God. You're hurting yourself. And you're not being a witness. Matter of fact, it's a blasphemy to who God is. What you're testifying is sin still controls me. And we're, we're living this life. And, and again, I'll just be really blunt. They love to preach it and they love to teach it and they love to put it out there and say, hey, you can come here and do whatever you want to do. And you can. You can come here and do whatever you want to do. But the fact is this. We're still going to preach what the Bible says. And the God still wants us to be holy. And what they never want to talk about is the repercussions of that kind of life. When all of a sudden... Husband and wife have to separate. Because alcohol, drugs, and immorality and perversions. It's the truth. They feel better about themselves sitting in a church that condones unholiness until their life falls apart. But that's what sin does every time. 
we're all a witness. And God wants, we're a witness unto God. And our witness should show that we're saved. Our witness should show that we're His servant. Our witness should show that we are sanctified. Our life should be different than the world. Again, I'm not mad at the world, but there ought to be a difference in my life. When I stop at the red light with my window down, my music shouldn't be, you know, all that the world is loving and enjoying about all their wickedness. It should be different. When someone cuts me off the road, Addison's going to hurt. I shouldn't get angry and yell, curse, yell at them, try to get them back, pull in front of them and cut them off. Makes you feel better. We ought to be different. When someone mistreats us, we ought to return in kindness. He said, that's hard. That's being a witness to the Lord. Our life should be one that they can see a difference. People want to argue and talk, and I get it. But you know it to be true too. You're walking out in the world and you, you hear a certain song, someone singing. You know, I heard this preacher this week. I went to a revival meeting and sat and listened to this preacher preach. And he said he was at Goodwill. And he was singing about the cross. And he went around the aisle. And this other guy was waiting on the other side and said, I love the cross. And they fellowshiped with each other for a while. That song was different. His song revealed who his Lord was. Amen? You know it to be true, too. You'll see a family walking or a group of people walking. I mean, it happens to us all the time. We'll take the kids and, you know, uh, our school kids on a trip, a tournament, or a game, or whatever, or an activity. And someone will just walk up and be like, what church are you guys from? Now, why in the world did they ask us what church we're from? Because they're being a witness. They don't have to say a word. You've done it too. Me, me and Hope, we have this thing. And uh, forever out in public and we see, you know, another family and the ladies are dressed modestly. Hope will always look at me and go, they're real. <laughs> it's kind of a joke, right? But we're just like, there they are. That's our people, right? Yeah, and it's a joke, right? We, we joke around with it, right? But the fact is, it does mean something. It's a witness unto the Lord. And we can make all of our excuses. But it really is this. Please don't get mad at me. Who do you want to be a witness for? Who are you representing? A church that has a rock concert every Sunday morning is not a witness unto the Lord. Amen. I'm awful quiet today. But yeah. That's what we're supposed to be, amen? Our life should be a witness that we're saved. Our life should be a witness that we're servant to the Lord. Our life should be a witness that we're sanctified. And then one last thing in this verse, and the end, everlasting life. Our life should be a witness that we're saved, we're servant, we're sanctified, and we're sealed. Amen. Everlasting life. You say, how in the world are you witness to that? I'll tell you how. That no matter what I go through in this life, it's going to be okay. I may mourn. I may cry. There's a time for that. There's a time for grief. 
But I know one day it's all going to be behind me. I know one day there'll be no more pain. I know one day there'll be no more sorrow. It's a little difficult week for you know, our family. Uh, looking back, Crystal passed away. But the fact is this, it will hurt. I have a lot of memories. But I know. I will see them again one day. And that's the difference. And that should be our witness. It's eternal life. It's everlasting life. We're on the winning side. Amen. No matter what this world throws at me, it will one day be behind me. No matter what I go through, no matter what pain I go have to experience in this life, someday there'll be no more pain. No matter how many tears I have to shed, I know one day all tears will be wiped away. I know that is coming because I'm God's child. We are to be witnesses. But then our text, you don't have to turn there, we'll just speak it. But in Revelation 11 and verse number 7, it said, Until the time that they were, their, the time of their testimony was finished. Their testimony is what they shared. These two witnesses, they spoke the truth. Praise the Lord. I, I look at their life and revelation there, what we read, and you see the power of God in their life. They're referred to as being two olive and, uh, and two candlesticks, both representing the Holy Spirit's continual empowering and them being a light to the world. They had the power of God in their life. They had the protection of God in their life. Amen. I mean, the Lord would only allow something to happen to them. It had to go through him first. You saw the performance of God in their life and that God did miracles through them. And the fact is, you and I, as we share our testimony, you can expect the power of God and you shall be witnesses after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Amen. He told us with the Great Commission, all power is given unto me. And he sends us out with that same power. We have praise the Lord. He protects his children. Praise the Lord. You can expect God to work miracles in your life. You say, does God still do miracles? He does. I mean, I, I'll just tell you real quick. This is awesome right here, right? The Elams, there in their door knocking, they met a lady. Her life was pretty messed up. And they were able to show her salvation, and she got saved. Praise the Lord for that. They've been doing Bible studies this week. Her name's Amy. Pray for her, right? But Amy is separated from her family, and they. Amy said, I just sure wish someone could reach them. And she gave them a street in Cincinnati. She goes, I don't even know where they are, but they, I know they live on the street. Brother Elam decided yesterday, praying for him, and Brother Elam said the Lord led him to try to go find them. He went and parked on the street. Got out of his car, prayed, started walking down the road, just, and the Holy Spirit said, just go back where the car's at. There's this family in the garage all sitting there working on something. The whole family was home. The whole family was sitting in the garage. Guess what family that was? That's crazy. It's awesome. Brother Adam was telling me yesterday, this is unbelievable. He said, well, I, I shouldn't say that. Of course, it's believable what happened, right? Amen. But what God did there, 
He's still working. He's still moving. You say, well, what is our testimony? Really simple. Jesus saves. He'll save anyone and everyone who will believe the gospel. The gospel is simply this. Every one of us are sinners. But Christ loved us. He died for our sins. The penalty of sin, as we read in Romans 6, if you're still there, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Separation from God. And if there was a period right there and that verse ended, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that awesome? You and I can have eternal life because of what Christ Jesus did for us. Amen. It's a gift. The gift has already been paid for. The gift has already been designated. With any gift you've ever received in your life, you never had to work for it, you never had to pay for it. You just have to receive it. Matt and I were sitting out in the parking lot yesterday talking, watching Cody mow the grass. That was a good day. Yeah, right? But we're sitting out there talking. And we were talking about eternal life, the gift of God. He said, you know, you... He said, it's like Christmas time. You, so much goes into this and that. and A lot had to go into getting the gifts and wrapping the gifts, paying for the gifts. But when it's time to receive the gift... It's just yours for the taking. It's free. You just receive it. The Lord Jesus did everything that needed to be done. It's paid for. He suffered and died and did everything so that we could have eternal life. He arose from the grave to show he conquered sin. And now that gift's for us. If you've never received the gift, receive it today. That's, our, that's what we testify. We share this good news with everyone that we can. And understand as I close this, we are called to be witnesses unto the Lord. The devil, I said this earlier, he wants to take away every one of these things. We've been made free from sin, we're saved. But the devil wants us to instead be a witness of still sin controlling our life. Don't let it. You have been made a servant of the Lord because you love Him and the love of God in your life and you just want to serve Him. You want to be faithful. You want to, whatever His Word says, I want to do it. Not to get anything from God because I love Him. Don't allow the devil to keep you from these things. Sanctified. Live a holy life. Don't allow the devil to take these things away from you. Boy, you see someone that is saved and a servant of the Lord and Try, striving to live a holy life. There ought to be joy there. Happiness, peace. But the devil doesn't want you to have that. The enemy's not. Have you get this? The enemy's not the coworker, Not your neighbor. Not your children. It's not your spouse. It's not your in-laws. It's not, you know, the president. The enemy is the devil. And all he wants to do is 
keep us from being a witness. Keep us from living a life that people can see who our God is. A witness unto the Lord. Let's pray. Father,